it's a luck thing right like you do not choose where you get born so i could have been born in a place where i did not have access to quality education so i think that realization definitely happened on the ground that if i don't do something then who will Today on the next impact maker we speak to a young founder from India who realized that millions of its citizens weren't getting access to government welfare programs meant for them simply because they didn't even know about those programs his company aims to change that welcome in i'm n and this is the next impact maker where we speak to people who are creating an impact environmental or social or both with their work learning what seeded their journeys, what lessons they can impart to us, what keeps them motivated and driven, as well as how their work has evolved to this ever-changing landscape. Today, Aniket Doga, co-founder and CEO of Hug the Shark. Welcome in, Aniket. Thank you, Kim. So before we talk about what Hug the Shark does, I'd like to talk about the issue that it's trying to solve. Could you maybe tell us about the moment you discovered this problem? I first started teaching in a low income government school in Pune in a Teach for India fellowship which is based on Teach for America so I taught grade 2 students 75 of them and today 68 of them are in college which I still consider my biggest achievement back then I was doing all of this to build my resume my CV so that I could go to Harvard or go to you know Oxford and study but that experience as a 21 year old basically kind of opened my world view on the fact that there are these millions of people who do not have access to information to basic social security to basic services so that's how my initial kind of interest started on what can be done there so i was about 22 23 years old when i started working in the communities to understand what is the gap and i remember talking to one of the parents of my students and i asked them that you know do you know about this government program where you can get a pension program right like government puts money in your account and they said absolutely no we do not even have basic documents and this is about 10 years back when india had about 20% internet penetration smartphones weren't being used so much 2g also didn't work really well so it is really a time where you could just log on to a computer and just barely google or wikipedia things so that's where the need uh, in my mind started that we need to start something where information can be democratized that parent that you were speaking to what does it mean for them when they say that they don't even have documents how are they living their lives so in indian largely big metro cities right like delhi bombay bangalore there is a lot of internal migration we have as a country one of the largest internal migrations because of our population today we have 1.4 billion people almost half of them are come to urban cities as workers so this parent that i am talking about was a construction worker he used to work on construction sites and lived in a very like i want 10 people used to live in a two room house in a slum in pune so for them even getting that basic information or documents that i am a resident of the city that is a big challenge so apart from the government benefits just the personal dignity and acknowledgement and the sense of pride Mm, it's interesting because you went to teach for India to educate some kids, but you ended up caring for their parents more. Do you remember how you felt when you heard their story about how they don't even have documentation? Firstly, shock because you take some of these things for granted, and again, this is coming from a twenty-one, twenty-two-year-old where you're seeing this and feeling that you know, oh, this is something that you should get. Why are you not getting it? And then you start peeling the layers of it in terms of 
income in terms of privilege in india there is a huge disparity in castes and the diversity that exists so all of those things combined you start realizing how privileged you are to have this information access but there was also a sense of possibility because probably i didn't know the structure so well so i didn't know how hard it would be <laughs> to do this so i just felt that oh it should be simple right i have access to a laptop and i know google so i'll google everything and figure it out like why should it be difficult but then of course as you start doing this you realize how difficult it is to get access to these services what happened when they told you all this did you try to help them in the end to figure out what they are eligible for yeah i think innately i have a huge bias to action which sometimes works which sometimes works negatively and so my first reaction was yes let's go out and talk to the local elected representative and let's get you all the benefits so i didn't manage to do that but i wasn't able to get them the benefits and that's what even created a lot more thoughts in my mind that why didn't it happen like why is it so difficult so that question kind of lingered on even though immediately after that i did a few things across india for experience but this initial thought of why i couldn't get parents of my students access to basic services even though it's free from the government or in a sense it's a constitutional right like why is that happening that kind of remain with me yeah and i think it's also because you're coming from a perspective of you know how to use the technology and for you it's tough so imagine how much more difficult it must have been for them so In a sense then Hagdashak comes in right how are you intending to shake things up how are you intending to change everything The next couple of years after Teach for India was kind of exploratory I was fortunate to work with a couple of great mentors who gave me good leadership positions at a young age I worked across the country I worked in urban cities like Delhi I also worked in rural areas so but constantly everywhere that I worked because I largely worked with the low income communities I realized this is a pan india phenomenon and now I come to I have come to the conclusion it's a global phenomenon where people do not have access to information and information is power so with that thought I initially started a open source non-profit platform because I had no intention of building an organization or even being in india I had the full intention of doing a project and having a great resume and leaving india to do my fancy master somewhere that's how the thought started and then I failed miserably in scaling up that non-profit model on the platform because while we were able to prove that such a technology platform works we couldn't get any business model going the learning happened through that failure that if you want to make impact at scale there needs to be a very sustainable model i think that's where i got to know about the social enterprise model where you could be a for-profit company but still focus on impact and that's how in 2015 16 we started hukdarshan Why do you think the previous version failed? Because there were two three things that I innately was very clear on at a very young age. I wanted to only get into this if I was able to solve the problem. And I was also clear that I wanted to use technology because technology enables scale and I want to work on a problem which I can solve in my lifetime. I don't want to build an organization for the sake of it. Those are some of the things that I felt we were not able to get clarity in the previous version. There was also support of mentors and co-founders along the way Darshak started with initial investment from a social investor and i think he guided a lot in terms of how the enterprise model works also the other thing that worked back then in 2015 16 is indian government really pushed the policy of startup india where they pushed all startups so we got grants from institutes like imm dabad intel iit delhi 
So there was a lot that you could do if you had an idea. There was a lot of inertia and a lot of focus on guiding young people towards innovation and getting them that capital access, which worked really well for us. That gave us that initial freedom to fail. You mentioned earlier that you had this master plan to eventually go overseas. I understand it's been maybe 8 to 10 years now and you're still... (laughs) In India, <laughs> you didn't achieve that dream. <laughs> but what actually was the turning point for you to be like, I'm going to start my own business and I'm going to handle this myself? In the initial two years, I went to every organization out there. And I said, I'm happy to work for you for some time, set it up. Or would you want to do this? And when I realized nobody was really doing this, that's when I felt like, you know, no, I should do this. And once I committed to it, I said, I'm not going to budge for 10 years. Come what may, failure or success. I'll give the next 10 years of my life now to this minimum and see where I can take this organization. So that was kind of the personal commitment that I made back then in 2015 16. So, yeah. So now we can go into what Hakta Shak does. What does Hakta Shak do? Hak in Urdu means your rights, and Darshak in Sanskrit means the person or individual which shows you the path. So essentially, it's an organization which shows you the path towards your rights. So that's what Hak Darshan means. It essentially is a technology platform. You put in your information and it automatically tells you what are the government programs you're eligible for. At the back end, the core IP that we have built is this repository of government schemes and rules. Because each government scheme eligibility works like a probability theory. If and or conditions. If you belong to this caste, income, region, you will get a program. So we codified them, we simplified them and we digitized 7,000 plus programs in 10 plus local languages. So that was the first task in the first year. Then we built it into a simple mobile and web platform. The third thing that we do is we do not assume that the end citizen will download this because these citizens do not have sometimes smartphones, internet. So the whole model is assistive technology. So then in 2017, we started pivoting the model. So we now train local women largely as agents as entrepreneurs who use our mobile platform and go door to door. So if I am the agent and I come to you, we are in the same village. I'll ask you a set of 30 to 40 questions. The platform will automatically say you are eligible for 40 government programs, 50 government programs, these financial programs, government documents. Then I will also help you apply for them in terms of form filling, upload of the document so that your entire process is done. Right? And in the process, I'll charge you a small fee, but our business model largely is we work with partners, corporate partners, foundations, DBS is one of our biggest partners. And then we have multiple other in India, 100 plus partners that we work with. And of course, this now seems very simplified, but along the way, we've pivoted some 20 times and along the way, multiple programs have supported us. One of the first programs we did was the DBS NUS challenge, which I won. 2017. We never set out to, which seems like a very good business model today, after seven years. Every year we used to test out some five things, four we used to fail, one we used to pick up and say, oh, this works. Let's move on to the next. And it continues even today. This is such a seamless business model. It's so comprehensive. How did you get to this point? What are some of those learnings actually? What were some of the initial failures that made you pivot? So when we first started, we never wanted to have a field team. We wanted to build a product SaaS platform. So we said we'll codify these schemes, we'll have a technology team and we will give it out to all the companies and agents and non-profits in the country, right? And then we found that nobody wanted to take it because people were like, why should we do this? Customer acquisition was so high. 
So that was the first pivot when we realized that it makes sense for us to build our own network. So the first real pivot was to go out on the ground and start training women and identifying women. First, we never thought it should be just be women entrepreneurs. That also was the second pivot. When we started doing some field studies, with, we realized uh, again in 2017 that training women makes a lot more sense because if you give sustainable income in their hands, they use it much better in rurality, especially for their How did you families. find this out? <laughs> so there are two, three points in this in India, right? So mm-hmm. as a male, because of patriarchy, you have the ability to travel. So if I'm a male in a rural household, I can go and travel to any district. I can tomorrow go for 50 kilometers out for a construction site or a factory. Whereas if I'm a woman, I'm not allowed to go outside my village. Mm. So we picked that up and said, oh, this is our advantage. Because if I we train male entrepreneurs, if two months down the line, they get a better job, they leave us. Whereas women, if we focus and invest in their training, they can actually A, get digitally literate. They'll get financially literate. They will get, get more money. And they get something where they are in their villages, which is something they wanted. They wanted work, but their problem was they didn't want to travel very far because they are also the primary workers at home. So it's not like they were not working. They may not be working for someone else, but they are also doing so much work in house. And they were also the primary workers in their farms. So that's what we started building on and said, this is a great model. And India has something called self-help groups, which are the largest women groups, over a million groups, which basically work on microfinance. So we tapped in those groups and said, some of them are already doing a similar work. Why not train them? And that's when we kind of shifted our pivot to the women entrepreneurship. And what do these women do? What do you train them to do? They are the ones who go door to door, tell people about their government scheme profile, eligibility, and then end-to-end help these citizens to get access to government schemes and documents. So they are like our end-to-end agents. So we don't expect the citizens and these rural and urban low-income families to download our app. It's the agents who download it and do the last-mile application. Mm-hmm. You also mentioned that you never sought out to do field work, but it sounds like you know so intricately all the issues that are happening on the ground. Any learnings that you've come across during this time at field work? Some of my biggest learnings have been that we undervalue information. I think information access is crucial for everything, not just government social security. And sometimes when you go on the ground, you realize how little information people have. In today's day and age, when internet access has increased to 4G, 5G, in a country like India, out of 1.4 billion, we have close to 900 million smartphone users, still half a billion to go, but huge numbers. There is misinformation, information and misinformation. So I think the, and how much citizens value good information? That was one learning. The second was that if you can give high quality service, this notion that people who come from low income backgrounds cannot pay for a service, I've learned that that's not true. If there is quality service, if you get food delivered to your home, or if you can get a good quality taxi ride, you will pay. Similarly, if a rural citizen, low income citizen gets a high quality service where you are valued as a good customer, they will pay. So rather than thinking of them as some sort of beneficiary or that you are doing something for them, my learning has been that we need to treat all of them like quality customers. And if you can treat them as customers, just like you treat in any corporate entity and you start really valuing a quality service, grievance, after sales service, then citizens really value that service. Also, the other thing is that generating livelihood and income is the most important piece like like nobody will just do something on the ground because it's good it's good so they will join you 
but ultimately it needs to generate livelihoods for them if i am as a women entrepreneur in the sun putting 4 hours a day i need to make enough income to be able to justify that i work any stories from the women that stand out to you one story this last year that happened one of our partners acumen had come down for a visit in one of the villages which is 2 hours from bombay palghar we've been working there for now 5 years and we have a center there as well it was raining it was monsoon it was pouring in india as you would know when it pours it really like rain so it was one of those days she basically she is an american and she had a group of these 20 young women who are on her dashaks and she asked what does dignity mean for you someone in the team translated it in the local language marathi like what does this mean one 19 year old young girl raised her hand stood up and narrated this story of how she got a family health insurance and life insurance coverage under the government program a year back and unfortunately due to covid this person's wife passed away and she remembered that you know she had got these people this program so she went to that person and said that you are eligible for 200000 indian rupees from the government as a life insurance cover and i'll help you get it so she helped them get the money the money came in their account the person turns around after a week and comes to our agents this girl and says here is 5000 rupees and she said why she said no this is the normal rate right you got me money and as a kickback or a cut i'll pay you and she said no this is my work this is my dignity this is my job i do this because i really value what i create as an impact and that left everyone of a stunned our darshaks today support over 100000 families a month like on a daily basis we are supporting over 3 to 4000 families getting these access to benefits that really stands out for me as you know the power of the model yeah that's amazing and Honestly some people when they think about these problems that the government schemes are not reaching the people people usually think that shouldn't that be kind of a government issue do you see yourself as doing the government's work so i personally believe that it's the government's job to design the policy implement the rules providing those guardrails right right in banking like in education like in healthcare But the idea is that in large countries, in context to India, I mean, it might be different in other countries, but especially in India, the realization is that every citizen needs quality service, and also there is a huge scope for public-private partnership to come together. It is the private players who really bring the technology, scale, and last-mile quality service, and there is competition. You will not be able to get the best price for the customer. so many rejections in the first 3 4 years on those lines that oh you are doing the government's job gradually with work and with data because there's no other way to change that narrative it's only by scale by numbers and by proving over the years now it's a situation where we have some government entities coming to us and say why don't you do this for us it takes time i'll give you one example also in india for people like me who would come in the top 10% in terms of access privilege and all those things for us there are two or three quality services where we get high quality service right passport service visa service tax service these are all managed by indian companies like tata infosys private company government doesn't manage these portals whereas the person at the last mile in villages where it is managed by the government sometimes there are quality service issues so why not give the same passport visa quality service to someone who's in a village in india and say if you want your access to pension or insurance we will provide high quality service So that's what we believe at Hakdarshak, and our vision really is by 2030 to reach 100 million such customers across the country. Why do you think such a gap existed in the first place? 
in India's context, it's true for a lot of Asian countries that we are very young democracies. We are not like Europe or America where we are two, three hundred years old. We are far from perfect democracies, but we are learning. Right? We were a colony of British till 1947. There were huge literacy gaps. There were huge gaps. And I think, unfortunately for us at India, we just converted the same colonial thinking for the first 30, 40 years. Where the people who had access remained to have access and people who didn't have. So I believe... As our education has increased over the last 30-40 years, as access to basic amenities like now we have access to almost 100% electricity, 100% drinking water, sanitation. These are basic things. Like we are moving towards a place where we might have in the next 5-10 to 10 years 100% housing. So I think as these things have improved, the gaps will reduce because people will start demanding the other rights. As information, internet, democratizing this will happen, I think this is increasing. But largely the gap was because very few had all the power of information. And I truly believe that information is power. Once you have information, you can create solutions. But a large population, if it remains under the influence of one kind of information or doesn't have full information, it, it's always difficult. What's the big dream for Hagdashak beyond the 3 million number? So we've just now launched a product called Yojana Card. Yojana in English means schemes, programs. So it's a first of its kind social security and financial inclusion card where we let a worker or a family or a farmer will be able to get their government social security and financial benefits like savings, loans, insurance. We're just launching that. So our goal is really to get people access to government social security and financial inclusion in the next 7 to 10 years at a scale of 100 million plus families so that they do not fall back into poverty. While we have done a fantastic job as a country, and we should not discount that in the last 20 years, we have got half a billion people out of poverty, which is huge. But 86% of India still earns only 200 US dollars per month. So if you think of that, we are still at a stage where social security benefits need to be given to all these billions of families, small businesses, where they have the cover of insurance, where they have pensions, where their children have scholarships where there are subsidies on housing, on cars, on electric vehicles, multiple like, we are just starting, we are just scratching the surface. So for Hakdarshan, the vision is that next 7 to 10 years, we are part of this journey of getting India to a middle income, upper middle income country by providing this sense of social security, financial inclusion. And we are playing a small role in that. As an organization, it outlasts me or the other team members and becomes an institution, where it becomes a professional institution in itself. I think for you personally, I remember earlier you mentioned the 10 years. You said you would give yourself 10 years for your personal life. Do you see that extending to 15 years, 20 years, or what's next for you? I still have about two and a half, three years to go for 10. So I will, I will probably take that call closer. But yeah, I, mean, I don't think I can go away from this problem. I think I'm kind of married to the problem solution for life. So I'll do something in this space. But I genuinely feel that an organization should look at fresh leadership. So maybe I am the person to take the organization from 0 to 10 and there will be some new person, somebody who's done that from 10 to 100 then a new leadership to take it from 100 and that's how you build an institution. That's the thinking and maybe but in the larger context I would definitely be involved in the same issues around information 
access, financial inclusion, government, social security. I think these are things that now I can't get away from. <laughs> Sounds like your dreams have changed. <laughs> yes. <laughs> no more leaving the country. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and now I get opportunities to represent Hadarshali for the countries and come back. <laughs> it's works as it. <laughs> it sounds like your worldview kind of expanded the moment you decided to go on the ground and you realized the beauty within India itself. Yeah, and I think also most importantly that how privileged I am mm-hmm. and how not so privileged millions of Indians are not. And that only happens because I was lucky to be born in a family which had the means to send me to good education. It's a luck thing, right? Like, you do not choose where you get born. So, I could have been born in a place where I did not have access to quality education. So, I think that realization definitely happened on the ground that if I don't do something, then who will? As you see and you start realizing the privilege piece, the luck piece, then it starts really hitting you. Yeah, I mean, the dream of going outside is... Very materialistic. <laughs> <laughs> I want to find out more about your relationship with DBS Foundation. How has it been and how has it evolved? Firstly, I think DBS has been one of the most pragmatic, empathetic and entrepreneur-friendly partner. And I don't say this now. I have been associated with DBS in some form or the other since 2017 when Hak was only 18 months old. And I myself was about 26, 27. So I think... We've grown with DBS. Like I said, we started with the DBS NUS startup challenge as a winner. The most important aspect was that DBS never left us, right? It's easy for an organization to say, oh, we supported an enterprise and then kind of, you know, start looking for that. And that's what we see all around us with other partners where they find someone and then they go to the next cohort and to the next cohort to the next cohort. In 2018, I won the DBS grant program in India. That really helped us scale our platform big time. It was a game changer for us, which helped us. Then using building that platform, raise seed money from impact investors. During COVID, DBS team reached out to us and said, what do you need? We were able to get our teams access to oxygen machines. Apart from that, DBS also supported us in building our MSME platform. So if you go to msme.hakdarshan.com, it's DBS supported. It's because it was built by the grant we got. And right now, as DBS is moving more and more into India, DBS has acquired a bank in India. DBS is now our largest partner. We just got the largest contract from DBS India. I think that only happens when an organization trusts the entrepreneur. There are a lot of organizations who give money and then, you know, literally sit on the head of the entrepreneur and say, report on this, do this, do this. Whereas I think DBS comes more from the mindset that once we have identified an entrepreneur, we trust them. That's been the best thing for us as an organization. And I can think of in the last five, six years, four or five instances in different pivotal points that DBS has helped us. And most of the times they have identified and reached out to us and said, let's do something, which, like I said, doesn't happen in our other partnerships. I think we are just down to the final question now. Do you have any advice for other entrepreneurs who are looking at issues but afraid of the long road ahead? Just focus and write down when you're starting off what is your broad vision and mission, what is the problem statement. I think these are probably repeated things but extremely important because you as an entrepreneur should be very clear what you want to solve, why you want to solve it and literally write it down. Give yourself a good amount of time to try things out but at the same time don't be rigid in the solution. Be completely married to the problem but be completely flexible with the solution. So that you can pivot anytime, you can change with circumstances. As a community of entrepreneurs, we are just getting started. I think 
we need millions and millions of more entrepreneurs to be solving problems so yeah i think everyone who aspires to be an entrepreneur should just take it very positively and then, like i said today after 10 years of starting the whole on the problem it looks relatively like a success but my first 2 3 years were utter failure i pivoted but i never let go of that i want to solve this problem so i would really suggest that people do not get disheartened if they find early failures or if they even find very like high success initially they should also be grounded I understand that for you it was a tough journey and you really believed in the cause but was there anything else that kept you going during those initial years of difficulty I was very lucky to have a team which from day one was committed we didn't have especially the first 5 years or so didn't have enough money sometimes to pay everyone and especially what they could deserve outside and it's not like we just for a bunch of college kids I have had people even right now my entire CXO team is all women team which is not something that i did by design it just happened by fair hiring practice and all of them come with much more experience than me 20 plus years of experience in certain cases so i think without them and without their constant belief in the idea and me even though sometimes i think they must have felt i'm absolutely crazy <laughs> i think that's that's what kept it going and of course my family who've given me this kind of freedom they definitely think i'm crazy but i think at least they they have kind of given that the back support to say that yes go ahead and do what you feel like yeah i feel like some people would see that um, people relying on them the team as a form <laughs> of a pressure point but it seems they <laughs> fuels you <laughs> in a sense <laughs> yeah <laughs> uh, thank you so much for talking to me i think this is really enlightening and it's amazing to see how big your company has grown and Sometimes crazy is a good crazy. <laughs> Thank you so much, Anne. So I've been speaking to Aniket Doga, co-founder and CEO of Hakdashak from India, closing the gap between government welfare schemes and the people who actually need access to them across rural India. I'm Anne, signing out for the next Impact Maker.